episode of Lost in Thought with I Am Mike. Oh uh, yeah, we're back. Uh, another episode, and today we actually have a pretty special guest. Kind of in this series, we want to get started in another like part of our podcast. I'll let Mike kind of talk about where we want to head with this series and just to familiarize the guest and the listeners as well with what we're trying to do. Okay, so to start off, to before I introduce our mysterious guest, um, I'm going to just talk about a little bit of background on the podcast and the whole idea of this series, I guess, within the podcast. And so normally we're just talking about random topics about our week, but we've been trying to start this series basically. We're going to go around and interview successful people that will give us that will give us their time of day. Thank you. Um, uh, as kind of a motivation for other people, uh, it kind of stems from the idea that a lot of time you see really, really famous people, like Jeff Bezos, other high-level CEOs, stuff like that, get interviewed, and that's maybe not attainable, or as attainable as someone more famous or successful on the local level, um, which we consider you to be. And thanks again for taking that time. Yeah, and we kind of wanted to keep it at a niche market where it's just the Rochester area, so we can try to get some good customer, or not customer, but listener feedback on what they would like or who would they like to see on the podcast next. Just keep that interaction and continue to build our uh, connections here in the Rochester community. Um, so without further ado, I'd like to introduce uh, Gilbert Jordan uh, to the podcast. Um, he was actually someone that I just started to know uh, here recently. I know he gave a haircut to one of my good friends on a soccer team and then he gave me a haircut and then while he was giving me a haircut, he said some things that just had me kind of thinking like, this guy has been through stuff and he's doing a lot for the community. So I thought he'd be a great person to have on the podcast. So okay. welcome Gilbert Thank and you. thanks for joining Thank us. Thank you very much. Um, I know kind of where we want to start off with this is just to give sort of the listeners a little bit about mm-hmm. um, like a background of just who you are, yeah. where you come from, a little bit. What, what you do first and yep. also who you are, how you got Well, first I'm a barber. And um, also, I do social work. Um, um, I'm from Chicago. Um, I've been here, though, uh, 20-some years. I used to play professional basketball, but did end up here and um, just went into the my other trade, which was basketball. You know, I had those my two loves besides my family. And, um, you know, barbering is something that I feel I could be my own boss and also help people, you know, that's in need of, yeah. you know, a lot of places. So yeah. You say yeah. it so casually. <laughs> like, yeah. oh, I was a professional basketball player now. I own my own barbershop. Yeah. But it's really, it's pretty It's impressive. a pretty, yeah. pretty big, impressive, yeah. like, really thing life. that you're doing. Um, I guess kind of going on off the barber thing, I know that that was what brought me into your uh, shop here that we're sitting in. Mm-hmm. But if you come in here, it's like it's like half a barber shop and then half uh what would you call it? Uh, community service, community I guess service. I would say that. And um, yeah, in one area I have it where I uh, I have people that donate shoes. Well, me and uh, my Andre Crockett, and um, they donate shoes to us where we uh, and they're fruit, they're brand new shoes, and we give them to uh, underprivileged kids and families where they can't afford shoes. We'll help them with shoes, you know, it stops a lot of bullying and stuff mm-hmm. in the school and stuff. And I have this, another area on another wall where I give um, job interview clothes for uh, adults, adult men. Um, just say they're, you know, getting out of prison or they may be homeless or whatever. The fact, well, can't afford clothes for interviews. So mm-hmm. I have more clothes to get um, for the go on interviews and also hygiene stuff. and give them haircuts and stuff like that and, you know, kind of present them and, you know, talk them into how they could present themselves better going for these interviews. And then I have this back wall, which we donated to Horace Bryant. Uh, He used to work at the Workforce Center and he was, uh, he passed away um, sometime recently. And um, I decided to, well, me and Andre Crockett decided to you know, put that wall for him and he, by him doing so much in the community. So we put books on there of, uh, for kids to, if they come in and read a book, uh, while I cut their hair, I give it to them free. So wow. 
That's amazing. That's awesome. This is the most unique barbershop I've ever been to <laughs> in my life. <laughs> I'll say that much. How did you come up with this idea in the first place? Well, first I'm going to say, um, you know, it was just mostly Andre Crockett and, you know, just people in the community that, you know, um, just knowing there was stuff needed. You know, me being from Chicago, I seen a lot of poverty and I seen stuff that, you know, we had seen, I mean, we had experienced growing up where we wish it was places like this that would actually reach out when we didn't have. And, you know, it, it, we had to learn to hustle. And if we have ways for kids to at least show their ways. And also, I do get free haircuts for good grades in school. So. That's awesome. Uh, but yeah. It's a good initiative. Yeah, that's my yeah. little motto or whatever, how we end up creating this. And I don't know, we just, I just love to give back, you know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Would you say you get a lot of traction of like people coming in to try on the suits or like use the suits and kids coming in to read your books? Is there oh yeah, most quite a definitely. few people. Yeah, we actually give them this. You know, they we don't ask them to return it. We try to oh, get really? new stuff and trying to find people to back us in it and stuff like this because it's. I feel it's really important. You know, because um, you know, we pay attention so much to um, individual selves instead of you know around us and in order for a community to get bit better you have to reach for everybody if you can you know and some things people just have around that can be used for some what they say is a saying that goes someone's garbage is another person's yeah mm-hmm. someone's garbage is another one's like lottery or something something yeah, something like, like that treasure or something yeah treasure like yeah, yeah yeah so i don't know i just with me you know that's just me i'm a Big heart, but I look like a grizzly. <laughs> you do have that bike that you you, you ride. It's like, oh, yeah. he's a badass type yeah. of guy. He's a badass type of guy. Yeah. Uh, that's funny. So I guess a question that kind of plays out. How did you get into haircutting, haircuts and stuff like that? Like, what was that something you wanted to always do as when you were a kid? Or is that if something you want to? Even, you can yeah. just take us through the whole story. Up to All right. Well, yeah. it was funny. Um, actually, well, I'm... First, I'm going to start with my brother. You know, my brother was cutting everybody here in the neighborhood. Okay. And, what, what, um, what time was this? I was around, well, growing up. <laughs> and, you know, over the, I mean, in this time, he was like, you know, he would cut everybody here and I would be the last one. And if he felt like it, he felt like it. And, <laughs> yep. You know, I got tired of that. So I ended up, you know, taking um, my grandmother's uh, sewing seat uh, scissors and tried to cut my hair, but they had ridges in them. So oh I had big ridges all around my head, and I was like, oh, man. So, you know, I kept on trying. You know, I'll grab his clippers and stuff, and, yeah. you know, I got pretty good at it. And then, you know, I have other brothers. I it, It's four brothers and one sister okay. in my family. And after I got pretty good where it looked presentable, then I started cutting my little brother's hair. And... uh yeah, and went from there to cutting everybody else's hair, and um, yeah, it just ended up like that. But I think my main thing was, like, I really knew I can do it when I started cutting my lawn. Oh, really? And, yeah, and I was, doing, I was doing my grass, and you know you have the big uh, pine trees, but they're, like, set so you can... They're shorter, so they don't get tall. Yeah. And you just design them and yep. stuff. Mm-hmm. So I started giving my pine tree an <laughs> afro and stuff. And, <laughs> you know, I started lining the grass, and yep. I say, man, this is the same thing. So That's pretty cool. I never thought of it. Yeah. If you yeah. think of it that way, it kind of is the same thing. Once yeah, you really yeah. Because, you know, aligning on the grass makes the grass, makes your whole yard look like you did so much. <laughs> look straight. Yeah, yeah so. Look straight. But yeah, that's how it started, and then um, by the time I was 16, I ended up uh, going to school for it, because like my... On the west side, um, where he was from, and um, went to school, and I took off from there. And um, ever since then, I used to just carry my book bag with me, even when I was you know, on the road or whatever, I would take my bag and yeah. everybody wanted me to cut their hair. And I became real well known all over Chicago and uh, started cutting a lot of the, you know, NBA players hair oh, really? that I was, you know, playing with and stuff like that. And, you know, just everybody. So I became well known and that's how I went from there with the barber to now. So Not bad. Sounds like I was Chicago. actually the first barber here. 
And the first black barber here in like, Rochester. How, so you, how did you, what, why did you decide to end up coming to Rochester? It seems well, like it you a, had a pretty good setup in, yeah. in Chicago. Well, it was a, um, I played basketball overseas and um, in Europe. And um, when I came back here, it was a team here called the Rochester Skeeters. And I was playing for them. And um end up finding my wife. And me and my wife was from the same neighborhood. Actually, we knew each other when oh, we wow. were nine. And, you know, we came up here and <laughs> ended up finding each other. That is crazy. And, um, yeah, and we we got we hitched each other, went to Vegas, got married. Our parents didn't know. And <laughs> here I am, you know. What a yeah, story. Yeah, yeah. So I guess let's get into your basketball career a little bit. Uh, when did you start playing and how did that uh, all happen? Well, most of my life, I um, I think it was my way mostly of staying out of trouble. So, and like dealing with the emotional, you know, um, that's another thing that a lot of us um, men or, or African-Americans and just, you know, people of, of color uh, deal with a lot of mental issues. But anyways, that's another story. I, usually I would, uh, oh no, I just went to playing basketball when I would, uh, you know, be going through stuff. And I used to be with my basketball all the time. And people started noticing it. And, you know, I was all over. Like, anywhere else a basketball court, I'm there. It was fun. Yeah, so um, I used to play hooky from school and go to a place in Chicago where all the major people were and major mm-hmm. names. And I would go there and win me a couple hundred dollars. Wow. You know, on you know, when I was supposed to have been at school. You know, <laughs> yeah. And I'll go go up there and do that and come back and you know, it just went from there and then um I ended up going up to a college, um, Kennedy King College and um I used to play up there with like Jawan Howard, um, um Richardson, Quentin Richardson and what? uh Tim Hardaways and um it was a lot of them. Yeah. And we used to be there and I would like, you know, be dominating these people and I was like a buck 50 wet. Okay. You know, so, but like they was noticing me and they was putting me in these tournaments uh, with the McDon- uh, McDonald's uh, uh, League or whatever. It's like something big in Chicago. Mm-hmm. And um, plus I was going on the West Side, so I was all over and I would go to the West Side and play all over there. And we used to go to this place called the Golden Dome. And um, that's why I met Kevin Garnett. And um, he was a youngin, and he was, uh, you know, um, he was, that was the place to be on the south, I mean, on the west side. Yeah. And we ended up real clicked, and, you know, I kept him out of trouble while he was in Chicago, you know, you know, because I, I knew so many people. So we ended up hanging out and stuff, and. I end up going back and forth from the west side to the south side. And I would go to the south side and play at this place called Kennedy King where all these, you know, people that was known either in the NBA or going. Mm-hmm. And uh, this coach used to, you know, he just always looked at me. And this one time he said, Gil, you know, because I had dropped out of school. He was like, man, you need to get back in school. And I'm like, for what? You know, <laughs> you know. And he was like, yeah, I can get you places and stuff like that. So... He ended up uh, signing me up and I got my GED. And then, shoot, right after I got my GED, maybe two or three months after, we ended up going to the, um, he sent me to Europe. Oh, wow. And um, played over there for a little bit and um, for a year. My mom didn't even know. I just jumped up and left because I was actually on my own by the time I was 17. Mm-hmm. So I jumped up and went to Europe, and I called my mom, and she, I was like, "Mom, I'm in, I'm in Spain." <laughs> She's like, "Stop lying! <laughs> you lying! You, you out in the street still? You know, and all that stuff." And I, I let, I let, put a lady on the phone, and she started speaking. She Spanish. was, yeah, and she was like, "Oh my God!" And then I asked her for a couple of DVDs or whatever. So, anyways, I was there for a year. I couldn't take it that much, you know. It was just too far away from everybody. And, yep over there by myself, so it was like, uh, yeah. even though I'm like that in Rochester right now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, so I, that's when I came back to Rochester, and I was, you know, with the Skeeters, and like, you have to keep it up, it's just like any other job, 
you can't sit out a year or they get to wondering where were you and stuff like that, especially mm-hmm. in basketball. So I was playing with them while I was trying out for NBA teams and okay. um, went up to play, tried out for the Orlando Magics, uh, the Atlanta Hawks, and um, I had made that team, but it was just so far too. So oh, I really? wanted to come back here. Yeah, but I would have took it. You know, I wasn't just turning them down, but I was going through a lot of stuff here in Minnesota. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to come back here. So uh, plus my cousin, the one that was on the west side that taught me how to cut hair, he was in Atlanta and he opened up a barber shop there. But I wanted to go, but I was like, no. So I came back on the way here. I uh, got a call from Flip Sanders uh, for the Timberwolves. And, oh, yep. Yeah, because, you know, I was friends with Kevin yeah. Garnett. And um, went up there with him and um, tried out for the team. You know, that was around the time Spreewell and Cassell and them was here. Yep. And um, played with them for a little bit. I was a bench warmer. But, <laughs> you know, so I had that little episode. And mm-hmm. after that, I kind of was like this. I think this is it, you know. Mm-hmm. And it was happy. I was I was frantic because I made it with a GED. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I beat the game. So mm-hmm. after that, I pulled out my book bag, blew the dust off my clippers, and said, hey, let me put something together so I can kind of live a little bit. So, For sure. And, you know, I've you know, I been here. Yeah, I mean, it looks like you've made a good living here. I mean, yeah. your shop yeah. looks really nice. And Thank you. You've came a long way, obviously, with yeah. you traveling all yeah. the way to Spain and then coming back here. Honestly. I guess something I want to get into kind of is like, you know, with, like, African-American and, like, just living pro- poverty, kind of. Mm-hmm. What was the h- toughest part about you staying motivated to make yourself known or make yourself get to out of poverty and get, like, to the top somehow, like you are now, kind of? What, what was your biggest motivation? Um, I just wanted better, you know, um... Like growing up in places like Chicago, you know, you see these things and these ideas that people have. And like another thing, I started driving cab when I was 13 in Chicago. Oh, wow. So I had went to Arkansas. This is another quick story. I went to Arkansas with my auntie and stayed there for a year. And you get your driver's license down there when you're 13. So I went down there and got my driver's license. And then I actually, this is another thing since we're talking about that. I went down there around the time Rodney King was, was have you remember Rodney King? You guys don't know. <laughs> it's a guy in Los Angeles, and he was beaten really bad by police. Okay. And it started a whole epidemic all over the United yeah. States where, you know, uh, especially in California where they were rioting real bad, and, you know, they was tearing up the whole, you know, Los Angeles. And um, when they did that, I was... Yeah. yeah, I was in Arkansas when that happened, and um, my Wait, brother. So that's the story of them like being the guy with the little, uh, what do they call the, the Billy clubs? Yeah, with the Billy clubs. Yeah, with, like the four yeah. police officers. Yeah, yeah, I remember that story now. Yeah. So, I had just got sent up there because my brother was shot, and okay. my mom sent me there to get me away from the gangs and stuff because she kind of seen me getting in there deep, mm-hmm. and um, you know after my brother was shot. So she sent me to Arkansas, middle of nowhere, you know, all these. I had never been around white people. I mean, it's nothing wrong with it now. I love it. Yeah. But I had never. So to go to Arkansas, it was like, wow. Just a shock. Yeah. Just, like, whoa, cows and stuff. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So I was up there chilling with them. And uh, um, that's when the Rodney King thing happened. And they end up like, uh, man, um, they start sending us uh, letters to the school saying thanks for having our babies and stuff like that and you know this is you know and they had a town called Cabot Arkansas and it was only one black family there and the the one kid was only there the family was there because the kid played basketball yeah so it was a it was an ongoing and like it was I had you know I had never been around whites before mm-hmm. and I now I got a bunch of friends that's white yep. you know mm-hmm. and then this Rodney King stuff happened and everybody's separated now. So at lunchtime, the black people are bringing two by fours and the white people are bringing, uh, wearing b- boots with the, the, the spur things on the back. Yeah, the little to fight things. with. Yeah. And me and this, this clique of people 
you know, we like, man, we don't know none of y'all size, you know. So we end up fighting with, they want to fight us because we won't help the white or black side. Yeah. So it was crazy. So uh, make it short. That was, that was the, you know, something about poverty. But mm -hmm. that's how I got my driver's license and my grandfather owned a livery service. So I ended up going back to Chicago. It's like, granddad, I got my driver's license. So I, I just wanted to drive his cars, but I ended up making money. Yep. So, but yeah, so that's how I got into, you know, uh, that was, you know, you see all these things of people making different types of money. And like, I just had so many ideas because I, you know, was trying everything to try to, you know, make my own way. I didn't, you know, with five five kids and my a single mom mm -hmm. raising us, you know, you want to be able to help and, yeah. you know, or get the shoes you wanted and stuff. So I was always away, you know, and I was cutting grass. And after I cut my mom's grass like that and cutting the tree and stuff, everybody in the neighborhood on my block wanted me to do it. So yeah. it was just all going of like hustle. Yeah. And um, by the time I got older and I came here, you know, I said, hey, I got all these trades, you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And I started picking up on them and trying this and trying that and trying this and you know, it's just that willpower that a lot of us were raised with because mm -hmm. we wasn't for. I mean, we weren't we weren't eligible to have people with money, yeah. you know, raising us. So mm -hmm. you end up learning these things, you know, as you grow up, and that's how I am now. You know, I just don't want to. I I was I was raised with the mentality I would never give up, yeah. you know. And if I can make it to the NBA on a GED, you know, and reach my goal and my dreams. You know anything else is possible, yeah, and you know that's a that's a word to anybody anything you you choose to do, you just gotta push yourself harder than anybody else, you know, and believe in yourself even when you you know you get discouraged, you gotta keep on believing and know that you you're able to do it, and nobody's better than you, you always gotta have that mentality, and you always gotta learn continuously um um, educate yourself on whatever it is you want to do. You know, you never know too much. Yeah. You know, I've been cutting hair for almost 30 years now, you know, and um, I'm still learning. You know, my son, he cuts hair in uh, Minneapolis, and he cuts all the, t the Timberwolves hair now in the Minnesota Vikings. Wow. And um, most of the rappers and all that stuff, and I'm learning from him now, you yeah. know. So <laughs> crazy, yeah, yeah. So, um, I know me and Mike kind of get in on this a little bit about how you have to keep kind of looking to the future and try to better yourself for the future, mm -hmm. but also you got stay in the moment mm -hmm. and it looks like you're kind of staying in the moment by giving back to the community i just want to get into a little bit how like your view on what you would consider like success and like what is your definition of success like monetary like some people have monetary views of success but some people have like oh i'm helping a lot of people out i guess mm -hmm. i want to just know like what kind of how do you define how do you define it yep i don't know um for me i Money has always been easy. I think that's why it's, I mean, it's, it's easy to get. But to actually feel happy, mm. I think that's success, you know. Yeah. Um, the richest people is not happy, and the poorest people are probably happier than the rich people. So, um, yeah, success for me is just being able to be, you know, proud of yourself, you know, and uh, no matter what the situation is, because the money don't make a person, you know, it's what you able to live by at the end of the day, you know, mm -hmm. and yeah. just push yourself. That's always interesting because we always talk about how yeah. does money bring happiness. happiness. Yeah. No, man, I remember when I was a kid, my mother, my grandmother and them, and I had left my mom's house and went to my grandmother's house. And, man, it was like, you know, we had these aunties and uncles. It was like four Two, I mean, four, four of my aunties and uncles, and then it was me and my brother and my sister. And um, we went over there, and we was all living in one house. And um, I remember them days, and my grandfather having to cook, and he would get these blocks of government cheese, mm -hmm. them grilled cheese sandwiches, and you know what I'm saying? Going to the store, and you, yeah. have, you have $2 in your pocket, 
and you say, man, I'm gonna give me a Roman noodle. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna give me a big one of them big gallons of that juice, yep. and uh, go to the penny store and give me a couple bags of potato, twenty five cent potato chips, off yeah. two dollars. I was the happiest man in the world. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. I'm going to the house singing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that's what I love, and like to give back and to see that that smile that these people have on their face and. Yeah. You know, it's just it just makes me feel, you know, that's what I want to feel, you know, mm-hmm. and that's what pushes me and to see my kids happy. That's when I another part of success is to see your next generation, yeah. you know, make it at least to 18 mm-hmm. and know that you have did, you know, yeah. your best, yeah. you know, yeah. they not, might not have had the, all the great things, but, you know, you did your best and they're gone and they're doing what they're supposed to do. Mm-hmm. So. I guess on the topic of giving back, I think this is something we talk about a lot, mm-hmm. uh, like outside of just interviews, is we talk about a lot, like being able to pay it forward to people. Mm-hmm. How would you suggest that. that we st- we start doing that, like at this age or going forward? Because you obviously you guys are doing it now. You do, you guys are doing it now, and just you know making a platform for others. But you know, um, I don't know these you guys with the small businesses and you know, doing this thing in the communities and stuff is something pleasurable. And, um, you know, as far as anything else, you know, if if it's something you can't use, you know, like we were just saying, mm-hmm. you know, find someone that can can use it instead of giving away. And stop eating, stop making food that you're not going to eat, mm-hmm. you know. Try to make sure that you make enough that, you know, that you won't have to throw stuff away, mm-hmm. you know, because I just think it's another mouth out there that would love it, so... Mm-hmm. Yeah, Great. but keep on with what y'all doing, man. Yeah, and, for sure. Yeah. Um, kind of want to get into this is something again that we talk about a lot on this podcast is just where you currently see society heading. You know, right now mm-hmm. we're in kind of like a political warfare between the left and the right, mm-hmm. and things like that. I guess I want to get your view on how you think we're gonna all come together as one in America and not uh, be so divisive uh, right now. Yeah, I've been having a lot because I deal with a lot. Like I talk to the um, a different, you know, people of um, different backgrounds, different backgrounds. Not only that, but like higher up from mayors to governors to everything. Mm-hmm. And um, no, it's really hard, man, because like everybody's at war right now, and this, you know, like. Women against men, yep. Democrats against Republican, blacks against whites, you know, yep. gangs, you know, and everything, you know. And it's like hard to, you know, that's like in my barbershop, I do not talk about politics, mm-hmm. you know. Because, Except for today. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I do to a certain extent, but I don't take a side, mm-hmm. you know. I like, you know. It's it's just hard to, you know, even though you might have a perspective, it's some things like, you you know, that you might have going on in your life. You just got to keep your mouth shut about it. No. But I wish like, you know, it's a lot of a lot of things that the government could resolve, but they rather pay attention, you know, to one major one little thing or, you know, things that's going in other countries than to pay attention to what's going on here. Mm-hmm. And um Another thing I see is that the government is not really a government. You know, it's other people that run this country, but they just have these people in front to act like they are. You know what I'm saying? Because, uh, uh, you know, that Exxon, they they run a lot of this country. I've been seeing. I don't know how some gas people can be able to be in the government, you know, and be, be nominated for government and stuff like that. And. You know, they don't want to pay attention to, you know, what's going on with the weather and all that stuff. And that's really important. You know, everybody should grab it. Yeah. And then my main perspective of the Democrat and Republican thing, my my thought is, is that, you know, make it be a war with a fight with them. If it's a Democrat president, it's a Republican vice president and Mm. vice versa. You know, where they will have to end up going together because they, and then 
after they come or they can't come, then the Supreme Court should be uh, whatever. Or interesting. That's be an able interesting to. idea. We actually yeah. talked about something similar to this on one of the earliest episodes. Yeah. Hmm. When we were talking about, I actually brought it up, something like, it's weird how after elections, no matter what, it seems like half the country is like super pissed off. Yeah. So no it, matter it doesn't what. make any sense. So the suggestion that you, do you want to say it? Um, so basically we're thinking that, so the Republicans and the Democrat each have to vote for a Democratic uh, nominee. And the mm. Republicans and the Democrats, or like from both sides, have to vote for a Republican nominee. Mm-hmm. So then you get two sides, or like two votes from each like, side. Each right. side, basically. So, mm-hmm. yeah. You get what I'm saying? Where yeah. like both sides choose one Democratic nominee, and one both sides choose one Republican. Mm-hmm. And then the whole uh, U.S. votes on the two choices. Wow. I think that would lessen the aftermath of people being so pissed off of who yeah. gets elected because yeah. like I mean it was major it was literally majority of who chose. So yeah. mm-hmm. I think that's an interesting idea. I don't know really how it works mm-hmm. or how it would be implemented. Mm-hmm. But and then there's also look at where let's say a Republican really does not like this Democratic uh nominee. So mm-hmm. they're gonna vote for maybe the worst Democratic nominee mm-hmm. just so it, there's no chance that person gets in, as a Democratic nominee, like mm-hmm. the main Democratic nominee. So there's still issues like that. But I think it's just coming to this time where we kind of have to find a way to accept, not really accept, because like still to this day, there's things that our current president says that shouldn't be said from mm-hmm. a president. Yeah. But we have to find a way where we need to all come together as one, whether that's a new president who comes in and brings both sides together, right. or if it's just us talking about it and having the conversation between each other about right. what needs to be fixed. How do we get both sides talking again? Because right now it seems like the past three years, four years, uh, the sides have been like splitting up apart and just coming after one another. Yeah, worse than it ever had. Yeah. You mm-hmm. know? I've never seen it this, this bad. Mm-hmm. You know, even in my sep- since 74, you know, it was getting, you know, it's, it's terrible, so... Mm. Yeah, yeah. We I guess something we also talk about that maybe you could give some input on is like the role of technology in society too. Mm-hmm. Like how it seems like if you look at like Twitter or something like that, for example, you just end up in this echo chamber where if you are for one side, then all you see on your timeline or everything is like people agreeing with you, and then you get like even more like against the other side, and it just keeps like polarizing the two separate sides against each other. I feel like. Mm-hmm. I guess I don't know if you have any thoughts on that. Or yeah, I mean, or all of that. Technology in general. Yeah, just, I mean, first with technology is just, it's, it's getting so um, high tech, I'll mm-hmm. say, that, you know, it's, it's being used more than, you know, individuals, you know. And that's another reason I like being a barber. I don't think they can take my job. But, <laughs> um, yeah, it's just terrible. And this, this, um, internet stuff man it's like you know it's 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 addictive you know i call yeah, myself yeah. you know and it's hard to get out of it if they were saying something they had some study or something that a person without their phone and they had them like they had took their phone from a person mm-hmm. and they had was like going through like you with, know withdrawals, withdrawals. <laughs> yeah and it is man like you know you be wanting to and you don't even have nothing to say. You just say good morning. You know that. Mm-hmm. Why do I wake up and say good morning to Facebook? Yeah. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Why? <laughs> you know. But then I realized. But like, and then we all say to each other, man, I'm just gonna put my family on mine. And then you end up with three three thousand people, yeah. yep. and uh, uh, only nine uh, ten of them is your family. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> they yeah. designed it. They designed it to be addictive too. Yeah. Yeah. It reminds me of a quote that I saw recently. I think it, it might have even been on Twitter or something like that. But it was like, the internet used to be what you do to escape from reality. Mm-hmm. But now you use reality to escape from the internet because people yeah. are on it so, so much. I don't know. Yeah, some people live in the internet so much that it becomes their reality. They feel like that's the, really who they are. Exactly. And they not, you know, they just live yeah, in this. Yeah, they probably even using someone else's picture, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Ever since I watched that, uh, what was that, um, that mo- that show with the, uh, um, uh, people were going there trying to find dates. Oh, oh. What is that? I know what you're And the two guys about. used to catch them. Oh, um, fish, something, catfish, catfish, catfish. Yeah, yeah that was, that's my movie, man. <laughs> you be saying, you be like, that's dang, scary. that girl was big, or dang, that girl, <laughs> that dude was straight in the hood, you know. Yeah. 
Yeah, you messing with this millionaire lady? Yeah. That's funny. Yeah. Uh, I guess, uh, where do we want to head next? Uh, just a little bit. Kind of what are some of the best advice that you've ever been given and some of the advice you would give to these listeners listening right now or some advice you give to your kids too? Um, like I say, just keep believing in yourself. And um, the best advice for me is to, you know, no, no matter what you're going through, keep a smile on your face. And, um, you know, relationships and family business should stay with that dumb people. You know, don't involve even your friends. You know, it's hard because, like, once you say something or you do something, then you're stuck with it, you know? Mm -hmm. Sure. And um, I've gotten to the point where my nieces and nephews and kids, I tell them too, you know, don't call me unless you, you know, about you in some relationship and something's going wrong unless you don't want to because, uh, you know, I'm I'm from the old whoop your butt state. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So don't call me unless you're serious about leaving them people. And, um, you know, keep reaching for your dreams. But in the... If your dream consists of something that's so high, you know, you got to find something that can pay the bills at the same time, mm -hmm. you know. So, um, yeah, and, you know, always set your dreams extra high, you know, because, you know, what you end up settling for is way better than someone else's, mm -hmm. you know. That's good. Really good advice, yeah. And if you're in one place and you've never been nowhere, even if you go to next town you know continue to see something one at least once a year go somewhere mm -hmm. because you never know what you're missing in this world that's awesome you know? yeah. yeah um so we kind of have the section where we call it the closer where we just ask you like five questions random mm -hmm. questions okay. and especially we, we'll ask everybody and then hopefully if we do like a hundred of these interviews over time <laughs> then we can see like people that we consider successful if there's like some sort of pattern to success or something mm -hmm. like that yeah we can crack the code um, so basically, the first question is, if if you could have a meal with one person, who would it be? So someone who, we want one person that's alive right now and someone who is maybe gone and passed. Alive? Any person throughout history, personally. A person alive I would like to meet. Hmm. Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan? Mm -hmm. Yeah. He's just, he's so... Would you consider him the guilt? Yeah, of answer, course. Answer, answer wisely. Well, my dad was the GOAT of Chicago, but <laughs> he is the GOAT of NBA basketball. You think so? Yeah. What about LeBron? No, I'm never. I'm, LeBron mixed with uh, uh, Blake Griffin, it would be the best player ever. Because mm, LeBron Blake, don't have Blake a post-up game. Blake Griffin's an interesting, interesting Yeah, because Blake, Blake got a post-up and LeBron got everything else. Now, if you put both of them together, that would be the best player ever. Interesting. And... Um, so Michael Jordan would be my person okay. alive, and the person that's passed, I will have to say. You know, I gotta say Tupac. Tupac. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, he kind of reminds me of me. You know, he he always was looking for opportunity. He's before his time, mm -hmm. and he knows his people and what we're capable of. But some he got so trapped up in his mental state that he wasn't able to produce who he could have been. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of people, he could have been something more than what he ended up being, mm -hmm. you know, for the for for America, you know, so for the world. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Two good choices there. Um next next questions. Biggest accomplishment, failures, and then regrets. My biggest accomplishment I guess being married 20-something years. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, in this day and age, it's yeah. tough to yeah. find. Especially the person I was. I grew up on Snoop Dogg. <laughs> I love them hoes. <laughs> <laughs> and um, uh, my, uh, what was the other two? Uh, big failures. Failures. And the regrets. Uh, going to prison. You know, um, I went to prison. Um, when I came here, it was, it was really like it wasn't, it was a handful of black people here. When I came and, and a bunch, it was it was enough Somalians, so we looked deep, but it was more like you know people just together. 
but it was, you know, it was a handful of us. And uh, my best friend was killed here in Rochester when I was playing with the uh, Skeeters. I was actually, I was doing extra trades. Like, you know, like I say, I'm full of trades and I was DJing. Mm -hmm. And what I would do is rent out a hall and I would have people come there for after party. So I would buy liquor and have picture taken and all this. Anyways, my mm -hmm. best friend was killed there and he ended up, um, my my brother I brought from Chicago here, and you know my brother had been shot before. My other brother had been shot before, mm -hmm. so they called us instead of calling the police, and um, they had said that my best friend was stabbed and kidnapped, and um, he ended up. My brother went over there and saying, you know, I'm like, just go check, you know, what I'm saying, see what it was, and he ended up going over there and shooting at the, a car that they had said he they had just pulled off with him, so. I end up uh, um, taking some of the money I had from going play basketball, and uh, went you know to and bought some drugs and was selling drugs to get my brother a lawyer. So by the time I put his, got him his lawyer and put my money back in the bank, it was time for me to go to prison. So that's why my stint with basketball was short. Mm -hmm. But you know I don't regret it at all. You know it was for a proper cause. So. But yeah, that was my worst regret and um, oh failure. Is that your? Would it that go coincide yeah. one of like together? Yeah. Failure and regret, probably. My 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 worst regret. Yeah, yeah, I put both of them together. Perfect. Yeah. Um, let's say one of the last ones. Uh, which who's your biggest role model? Barack Obama. Barack Obama. Yeah, he could have did more though. Mm -hmm. You know I mean, what I'm saying? Yeah. He could have he could have reached out a little more than he did, but you no, know, you never know what a person's. You know, even though they say you can do so much, you know, it's still a a limitation on what you can do, mm -hmm. especially being in that office. So, yeah. you know, I think I think with him being from Chicago. He should have, you know, been able to at least reach out. Because yeah. mm -hmm. it's so easy to stop this uh, this gang war and all of this stuff. But a lot of people just look over it. We're mm -hmm. looking at more wars other places. Mm -hmm. But we got wars right here, yeah. you know. And not just with gangs, but with, you know, racism and stuff like that. And um, it's simple concepts, but, you know, that's why another reason I push so hard and give to any, you know, I don't have a color, you know, I'm, I'm colorblind when it comes to people, yep. you know, I only, if you don't respect me, I don't respect you and vice versa, I mean, yeah. you know how it mm -hmm. goes, and um, yeah, but Obama would be my, my guy, my guy to go to, yeah. I guess I want to kind of follow up, I know we're running out of time a little bit, but I know you're talking about like how we have our own wars at home with like racism and gang violence. How do we go about? Because I think that's a big issue for me too. Like I want yeah. that. I want that. Like gang violence. Like especially African Americans on African Americans. It's like mm -hmm. guys, this is where we need to come together as one and not be taking each other each other's lives. How do we go about that? Because I know you said it's you said it's simple, but mm -hmm. is it? really that simple yeah yeah it is i think instead of locking up these uh these leaders um uh, especially now that they've been in there for decades now most of them okay. uh, reach out for them you know and see how they feel about what they've started and let the let it be known like how the they gang, feel. gang leaders yeah saying. gang yeah. leaders and you know these racism leaders and everything you know instead of instead of pushing it away so nobody can be seen you know look at Tukey you know and he was like one of the the leaders or starters of the Crip gang okay. you know in, in Los Angeles and before he died he was writing children's books and uh you know mm -hmm. really regretting what he was at mm -hmm. and um you know look at um um Nipsey Hussle yep. you know he was he was reaching for unity Mm -hmm. You know, and by his death, look how many people came at peace on the West, mm -hmm. on the West Coast, you know. That's a good example. So it's yeah. like, I don't know, it's, it's, it's just simple stuff. And like, 
That's a lot right. of it is like in these 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 poverty level places. Like if Michael Jordan, just say Michael Jordan, I'm gonna say him. Now he's building these hospitals. You know that's why I would love to talk to him, and that's why I look up to him. Is why don't he build a a a, a where you make your shoes, and, you know, take it and put it on the south side of Chicago. Mm-hmm. You know, if you put factories like we got in Rochester, if you put factories in these neighborhoods, you know, where people know they have jobs, it's going to stop a lot of it. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yep. If you st- if you make ways for people to make money, then it's going to stop because most of it is because of people are broke. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Gangs are because they want to sell drugs in certain areas. It's not about what you know. It's not really about which way you wear your hat. Mm-hmm. It's really about because they killing each other. It be the own the people of the same gangs killing each other. Mm-hmm. So you have to find a way to make these people some money, and you know that's the way. And now they finna take away marijuana because marijuana finna be legal in Chicago. So that was the only other option they had that they can get. Mm-hmm. So now they finna make it legal. So now they just making it so people can get high. But now that takes another job away, another hustle away from people that that was the only way that they can eat. And now, now they can maybe open up a business or something? Yeah, like I mean, put more factories in, in, the, in, in the inner cities, mm-hmm. you know, and that will stop a lot of that. And um, as far as racism, you know, they got to make things where people have to unite to do things, mm-hmm. you know, instead of putting, you know, like out here is they have a thing going where it's been out here since I've been here. And I think it's in most companies is that they only they got to have at least so many people, so many people of other colors in a in a business. And it's not about, you know, the qualifications. It's more about just having someone there to say that they uh past a quota yep. you know and stuff like that and I don't know it's I, racism is I mean it's, it's so easy to do mm-hmm. I mean like all of it is it just it's just you know people just gotta pay attention to it mm-hmm. you know and people like you know that's in big places you know they like Donald Trump you know he won't speak on it <clears throat> that's why I don't like him that's when I really start hate, I mean not liking Donald Trump mm-hmm. it's because he wouldn't yeah, you know, hey, I, I, you know, I see this racism things going on. He won't even address these people, you know. Even people saying he's a racist, you know, he won't react to that. But anything else, if you hit him on on Twitter, yep. he's gonna react to. But you know, when it comes to him, them saying he's a clan, it's like, mm-hmm. okay, I am because he's not, you know, responding no, no. to it. Right? I mean, just this rhetoric, rhetoric in general on Twitter is seems divisive the way he's been just saying things about different races and stuff like that so it's not surprising that he's not going to come back and go against his word that he's already been saying throughout Mm -hmm. twitter but yeah i think racism and gang violence is something that hopefully in the future that we figure out yeah i I guess from my perspective i feel like it's a hard problem to solve it's let me say it's not a hard problem to solve is what i'm trying to say i feel like it's mostly from people not like being willing to like talk to each other or like yeah. meet each other that's like yeah. that's that's what i feel like it's from with people just like in one group people in another group they assume that people are like this mm-hmm. but turns out people are really not that unsimilar like yeah and people all want the same thing they just want like for their family and yeah. stuff like that that was one thing you know like me being from chicago and like i say i hadn't seen well my my, my principal was white mm-hmm. but that was the only person i had ever seen and um i don't know that's like now being here is so funny because like even the most racist person, you know, if you give me a chance and like we're becoming friends and stuff like that and it's just crazy and like that experience being in prison uh was something else because I always said, you know, a person with education and street smart is one of the smartest people. But you it's one more part that's missing. You have to know how to communicate. Mm-hmm. And that's huge. with and all different colors world, yeah. yeah and and to learn that communication with street and 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 also with different races because exactly. you can have communication but you have to know when people are actually being sarcastic or not you know mm-hmm. even black people we got a way to be sarcastic with them without them knowing mm-hmm. and they do too and it's crazy because like now that I've captured 
you know, being in a different place besides, you know, where I was raised at. Mm-hmm. Yep. Man, that's that's what I think is taking me over mm-hmm. the top is now I know how to present myself and take feedback without thinking everybody's against me or mm-hmm. know how to know when people are actually, you know, insulting me or whatever. Because mm-hmm. yep. a lot of people, you know, even in our culture, they'll be... Um, disrespecting you but be smiling and you thinking it was just a joke but they're mm-hmm. really serious yeah. you know yeah. <laughs> yeah you never know yeah you so don't you unless you know yeah. you know and you got to know how to catch that you know laugh right back with them and say ha yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah i caught you but i yeah i let yeah. that be you know okay um i guess the end of here uh do you have like any places like socials or like you like to point our listeners to something that you've been working on, whether it's like your uh, social media accounts or things like that, where you would like them to go view. Oh yeah. Um, well, we have a show called Barbershop Talk that we do, and um, you can see some of my haircuts on there. And what is it on? Uh, we it's called Barbershop Talk. Okay. And that's it. It's Barbershop and Social Services. Okay. And that's on Facebook. I think it's mo- well, it's mostly on Facebook. We do a Facebook Live or something like that uh, with Andre Crockett. Um, and also, uh, my wife has a... Um, me and my wife have a... a, a well, we, we've gotten to helping people get their hair back. And it's really serious. Like, you know, you have these people that... Uh, say they do this and do that, but our stuff really works, and it's under uh cashmere cashmere lux um hair salon or or just look up cashmere lux l u cashmere lux c a s h m e r e l u x and it's a web page up there. But if you want to, if you're interested and you're here in town or I'm going to start traveling again, doing my barbering. So you can look me up on Facebook under, uh, or hit me up on, no, not Facebook. <laughs> That's too much. I'll have 2,000 people. Yeah. You can look me up on um, 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 Snapchat. That's better. That's better for you. <laughs> yeah, Snapchat, because it's all about just the pictures, yep. you know, and you mm-hmm. get to see what it's about. So uh, hit me on, well, because you can't see my pictures on there, can you? Can you see pictures? Can you go through it? No, because you can only see mm-hmm. what's only at that moment. Up. Yeah. Yeah, so hit me up on Facebook. <laughs> under, uh, give it G-I-B-E-R-T um, Jordan, J-O-R-D-A-N. All right, perfect. Make sure you guys go check him out. Uh, thanks again for yeah. Yeah, doing this with us. Thanks for having me. Uh, I really, we really appreciate it. it. Um, to all the listeners, we're going to try to roll a couple of these interviews out more often now hopefully mm-hmm. coming up in this next month but thanks for listening again mike mm-hmm. any last words that was amazing thanks yeah. again for your time oh thank you all right yeah. sounds good thank you guys yeah